Great show for you today. A lot of NBA. Jared Dudley of your Los Angeles Lakers. Known him a long time. Neighbors. Did not hang out, though, back when he was in college. That would have been weird. Today's show, as always, our presenting sponsor, State Farm. Today's episode of The Ryan Rosillo Show is brought to you by State Farm. If you're fumbling with insurance, State Farm agents are here to help because with over 19,000 agents, they're local to you and available to help. Whether you connect in person, by phone, or through the State Farm mobile app, agents are here to help. So go with the one that has coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Last time we did this, we called it seven minutes or less. That may be my new video segment. I think title, we've had a real hard time with the titles. I'm very particular about them. I feel like titles on creative things, you could sit there and throw out a title that everybody likes, and then six weeks later you go, this title does not play, it does not have staying power, and it's a bad title. And that's always my biggest fear. And the title can kind of just lock you in to something. So anyway, we also used to do a segment back in the day called Tales from the Couch. I even have uh, artwork that was made for it. So I'm going to call this one Tales from the Couch because that's what I was doing last night. Just happy to be on the couch, legal pad out, multiple TVs going, taping games, getting up. Who gets up at 7 a.m. and watches Utah Jazz games? Me. I do. For you, the consumer. Let's start with Cleveland and Philadelphia. Shout out to the Cleveland guards. Darius Garland was not great last night, but he was really good against that Wizards team on Friday. I was in a hotel room in Tuscaloosa. I go, you know, before I get going here and have dinner, I'm going to finish out this Wizards Cavs game. But Cleveland was up 87 86, eight and a half minutes left to go. Phillies lineup Simmons, Harris, Corkmus, Ennis, Mike Scott, and B checks back in at about 4.57. So five minutes left to go in the game, and they're down 95 90. Okay, I know this isn't exactly breaking news, but Phillies offense wasn't great in the fourth quarter. They went a really long stretch. I think it was like 10 points in that eight and a half minutes. And you go, hey, look, people have their slow starts. No, Philadelphia's 19th in offensive efficiency. I looked it up this morning, and then I looked at the fourth quarter. I'm like, is it worse than 19th? Well, it isn't. It's 15th, so middle of the pack. It's actually surprising that it's a little bit better. And the Philly team, like, this is not me jumping on them because Embiid has missed three games. Simmons missed two games. Horford uh, didn't play last night. And... It's still this this new group where everybody's trying to figure out all these pieces. But there is this trend that Philadelphia is not as good offensively. And I don't know, you're 19th in offense right now, 10 games into the season. And I was tracking where Embiid was getting touches. He got three touches the last five minutes of the game. I, I, it, I cannot believe that this team continues to do this thing where the thing that you would not want the Sixers to do as their opponent and even if you're telling me Embiid, you know, he gets doubled, let him get doubled. Let him get doubled and swing the ball weak side and figure out if you have a driving lane. You know, instead of a driving kick offense, why can't – like I still think it's okay to establish a guy that may be the most dominant person in the league to touch it down there. And I'm not talking about Giannis. I'm not comparing Embiid to Giannis, but I'm just saying that, look, we know how good Embiid is, but I don't want to turn this into a Brett Brown thing, although it feels like it's a little too late. Tobias Harris wasn't very good last night. 1.2 of 15, 0 from 11, 0 for 11 from the floor. 
And they still ended up pulling out this game, and that was uh, a combination of every bad possession. Like, this was not pretty at the end, but I will give Brett Brown credit for this. The go-ahead bucket was this really cool action where they ran a high screen to the right side with Embiid, and then Embiid sealed himself inside of the paint for a touch pass after the screen. So he rolled, but not as the roll man to catch it. It was brought to somebody else, and then he just straight shot down to Embiid. Embiid had the seal to dunk the go-ahead. So Brett Brown deserves credit for that. Really good out-of-timeout play, and that was how they were able to hang on here and get a win against the Cavs, who were were terrible. And Jordan Clarkson has to be one of the worst guys to play with. Uh, his assist ratio, I did look it up. I made a joke about it being negative, which is impossible, but he... Uh, <laughs> He doesn't pass the basketball. I mean, he just, he doesn't. He's he's a guard and it's like 12. I think it's 12. You want to have some fun with other numbers? I don't know. Does this excite you? Do you want to tell your wife? Do you want to tell your girlfriend? Do you have a new roommate that you're trying to impress? Use any of these. Feel free. Because I started going down the efficiency wormhole last night. Kevin Love has some really good numbers. Really good numbers. That surprised me a little that they were that good. When you look at usage rate and, and how efficient some of the players have been but if you want to go team stuff here's a couple things that jumped out at me as I was looking at Philadelphia's offense Orlando not just in the fourth quarter Orlando in the fourth quarter their defensive efficiency is like an unheard of number at 91 points allowed per 100 possessions they're five points better than the Clippers the second best defensive team in the fourth quarter and 10 games in let's understand that yes there can be these weird fourth quarters that skew everything because we don't have enough data yet but Orlando's really good defensively. They've been good defensively in all the quarters, especially the fourth quarter. And to be five points better than the second best team, that is a massive, massive margin. Uh, conversely, Portland is the worst team when it comes to defense in the fourth quarter, allowing 124 points per 100 possessions. That's six points worse than the next worst team. So these are big gaps, things that will flatten out over the next few months, but it's alarming because Portland is frustrating and Orlando's extremely frustrating because with their great defense this year, they are 29th in offense, only better than the league worst Knicks. Next game. Lakers, Suns, uh, Kuzma looked great, great first half. Rubio on the other side for the Suns, they were hitting everything. They've gotten real minutes out of Frank Kaminsky. Rubio doesn't need to do too much. There was a really cool play where Cam Johnson was in where they swung it to Rubio at the top. Other guards take that shot. He throws it to a rookie in the corner. Cam hits that three. It was 97 apiece. At one point, it felt like Phoenix hadn't missed any shots. Aaron Baines is part of that. His three-point numbers are stupid. Going into last night's game, Baines is at 47% on four three-point attempts per game. And you go, okay, is that really fluky? It still is, even though last year he showed signs that he could hit threes. 34% last year with Boston, but 47% right now for your center on the Suns. And this cannot be stated enough. The reason the Suns have found a way to be competitive, and you know when we did the over-under thing, I'm like, this roster feels more real than it's been in a long time. You don't like the Sarge trade. You don't like the Cam Johnson draft pick. You don't like the Baines part. That's that's okay, but collectively going, all right, Booker's off the ball now, and he doesn't have to initiate everything. Rubio, who's a grown-up making decisions. Sarge, who's big and can switch and hit some shots. And, you know, not having eight and is really frustrating, but Baines has been incredible for them. 16-6 and three assists. 60% from the floor, 47%, as we mentioned, from three. 
the Lakers on the other side, though, were really attacking the rim. McGee had a bunch of plays where he was getting wherever he wanted to. Dwight had a couple really nice plays. The Dwight thing, you know, here we are, week three. Dun, dun, dun. Like the Dwight thing is still a real thing, and it's absolutely still happening. Uh, the Suns actually had to go to zone at one point. Uh, Avery Bradley looked good. Rondo looked good. I'm going to ask Jared Dudley about that stuff. I mean, Rondo physically looked really good. Um, so looking at the closing lineup there for the Lakers, it was Avery Bradley in for Rondo once Rondo hit his minutes limit. And it was Bradley Caruso, LeBron, AD, and Dwight. And there was one thing that was very consistent at the end of this game, and I'm telling you, it was a lot. It wasn't like one of those things where you notice it a couple times and that makes you trick yourself into thinking it's happening all the time. Every time LeBron got the ball, and I'm going to do a LeBron pace thing with every team that he's been on, Cleveland 1, Miami, Cleveland 2, and now the Lakers, because LeBron's just going to bring it out and do what he wants to do. It doesn't matter what the style is, what the coach is, what the roster around him is. And guess what, folks? It's worked, so I'm not knocking it at all. But he was looking to get Booker in every switch possible. That was their closing offense. LeBron, ball, Booker's man, comes up, get the switch on Booker. And to be fair to Booker, it it wasn't like he worked Booker the whole time, but it was just something LeBron preferred, so it's just something to think about. Put that in your old noggin and think about that one next time the Suns and Lakers face each other. How about a read now? Let's do that because those are fun. ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be a slow process, and I've been telling every girl I've met, have you heard of Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz? Because he's he's just, I'm hoping it works. They're like, you know Dylan Miskowitz? I'm like, well, not personally, but I know that he needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan. ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. This tweet pissed me off last night is a segment Simmons wants me to do, and I have a really good one. I'm really glad I got to meet Kendrick Perkins because I like him, and I did a couple shows with him, but I think he's a LeBron guy, and I think he hates Steph, and there's nothing you could tell me to convince me otherwise. So he had a tweet last night that was do, do, and I let him know. So because Kendrick doesn't like Steph, he goes out. Maybe we just have him on one time and talk about this. And he finds different ways to diss Steph all the time. And last night, the tweet was because Trey Young, I'm going to get to Trey Young's game in Denver because that was insane. Trey Young was incredible last night. So Perk goes with this tweet last night. And like I said, Trey was unbelievable in Denver. Trey Young, better than Steph in his first two years easily, and it's not even a debate. Boom, 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 exclamations across the board. And I tweeted at Perk because it was like, wait a minute, are we going raw numbers here? Is that what we're doing? 
because Trey didn't have Monte Ellis, Corey Maggette, and both Anthony's, Tolliver and Morrow, taking combined 55 shots a game. Steven Jackson bailing on the team after a few weeks. And I believe they used to take Steph out for AC Law at some point. That was being brought up. And that was it. That was that was me going at Perk. It wasn't me going at Trey Young. And because that tweet wasn't good, uh, I got thrown into this because now this is happening in Atlanta because I pointed out this thing about Trey late in games where if he takes a bad shot, I've noticed teammates don't always get him the ball back to him immediately, which is just something that happens. Like You guys can look for it too if you want to try. Um, and now Trey Young's dad is going at me, Ray, saying that I'm a hater and although he did defend me a little bit, he said, I'm not the biggest Trey Young hater on earth, but I'm top five for sure. But he made it about, this was weird because he said, Luca looked up to LeBron, Trey looks up to Steph, but with Trey, it's just different. And I don't even know if it's worth, I guess I've addressed it here on the podcast. Maybe I'll throw a tweet at it and be like, for all, for anyone that thinks I'm hating on Trey here, and I have criticized that one small little element of his game, latent games, that actually has happened. And I don't want to be hit here with assist numbers and all this stuff. Assist numbers, when you have the usage rate Trey Young is going to have, you're going to have crazy assist numbers. And he's a really good passer. And if you go back to my draft breakdown of him out of Oklahoma, I said the reason he has a chance to make it is because of his passing, not necessarily his shot selection. And now with these ridiculous shots that he's that he's taking, he's hitting them too. So I kind of give up on the Trey Young thing. He had a couple shots Last night against Denver, I'm like, I can't believe he's taking that shot. And it went in. And it went in. And yes, Steph hit those ridiculous shots at a higher level where then you just had to accept that he was going to take them. And that's kind of the point that I'm getting at here. Yes, Dame extends at 30 feet, but the Dame shots still feel like they're in the flow of the offense. The Trey shots look like they're just, I'm going to see how hard a shot I can make. And he's hitting it at a high enough clip that it's acceptable. So, and especially when... You know, Hunter, who you knew was going to kind of float as a rookie because he floated at UVA, so I would expect the same thing. Reddish has been awful. Collins is gone. And I don't even like the Jabari thing because I actually worry that Jabari's probably thinking, why is Trey Young get to take all the shots as Jabari Parker tries to reestablish his career? Alex Len has been kind of nice. And then you got my man, Huerter, Kevin Herter, who, you know, was a little slow to start the season, had that huge shot in Portland. And he actually had a really big shot against Denver. So... I don't know. You know, look, I've already entered that Atlanta hate portal because one blog took what I said on Woj's thing about that, again, sliver of his game. And now I'm the guy that hates Trey Young and now his dad's on my case. But that's not what that tweet was about. The tweet was simply about Perk being a Steph hater. And if you're arguing raw numbers is why Trey is better than Steph the first two years of his career, you're leaving out a lot of factors that weren't exactly in Steph's. It wasn't like Mark Jackson said, hey, you get to dictate every single possession for the first two years. Steph was an off guard a lot of the time, too. And they had him coming and hitting those corner threes. And that's why some of his numbers actually were so crazy because they were more designed threes and what he was doing. But yes, that's where I'm at with Trey Young. Final game, Brooklyn, Utah. That one in Salt Lake, 68-53 at the half. The Nets right now, this is the stat before last night's game completed, so I'm sure it's, it's pretty close to being the same. Averaging 120 points per game, that's the most ever in franchise history for the first nine games to start a season. Bad news, they're allowing 122 points per game through the first nine games, the most they've ever allowed. Shout out to Sarah Kustak and Ian Eagle. Second half, all jazz. I want to start tracking something called annoyed Dinwiddie shots. I am a Spencer Dinwiddie fan, but I'm very concerned. And 
when Kyrie comes out of the game, Dinwiddie had a stretch over 10 minutes where he took, I think, 10 shots. It may have been more. I went back and tracked it again this morning and looked at the play-by-play part of it. But Dinwiddie just came in and was like, all right, I'm doing this. Jeff Green, I know you're talking yourself into him, Utah. Hit a bunch of big threes last night. The Conley thing has been alarming. It has gotten better. Conley was not in when Utah made the run. And really it felt like it was Utah having different options. They had a bad Bogdanovich three-point attempt in the left corner that I didn't really love, but they had Conley on some drives. Gobert had an unbelievable catch from Conley in the corner. Conley looked like he was lining up a three and then threw a laser pass at the rim that Gobert caught and was a huge bucket in the game. And then on the other side, especially once Jared Allen fouled out, it was a lot of Kyrie drives where it was either Kyrie, there was a Joe Harris three in there, but it was so much Kyrie where it was Kyrie drive, drive, a little like that Westbrook thing where it's like, I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive. But if you're not, if nothing's going to happen here, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to DeAndre Jordan at the very last second. So that's kind of where we're at with um, the Nets right now. And I'll just throw a couple numbers at you because Brooklyn is, as we mentioned with that offense, sixth in offensive efficiency in the NBA. However, defensively, they are uh, 26th. And I just want to jump out at that usage thing because Kyrie's raw stats are crazy this year. This is Kyrie's best statistical season he's ever had so far this year. 30 points, 7 assists, 5 boards. He's averaging 23 shot attempts per game. That's what were 4 shots more per game than his other highest career year ever where a bunch of years ago in Cleveland he took just under 20 shots a game. So he's at almost 4 more now. He's a 39% three-point shooter. He's 35% this year. He's taken eight a game, so he's shooting him a little bit more. And this is actually connected to the Trey Young thing a little bit because as I've watched, and this isn't you know brand new, and this, this happened with Steph a little bit, where Steph pushed the boundary. Steph did something where other players you know, not only wanted to do it, but they're like, can I do this? Could I try these shots? Is it okay if I do some of this stuff? And even though... There are some people, I forget who I was, there was a team I was talking with the other day that was saying, you know, our analytics department will still say that, you know, a contested miss three is still a better shot than a two. I'm like, wow. You know, I'd actually like to look at that. I'm not being dismissive meathead guy. But there are threes that, and it's kind of my Trey Young dilemma where I go, is that really the best shot? You're going to say, oh, it went in again? Okay. And Kyrie definitely has that in him too, where it's, I'm going to stand and it's kind of not really great. And I'm not really into any kind of rhythm here and everybody's watching me and I'm going to take this three, but he's such a special offensive player. And that's, that's kind of the thing I think you would have to struggle with as a coach where you're going, Hey, there's no way a fadeaway in the corner with 18 seconds left, the Zach Levine special. There's no way that's the best shot that we can get in this possession. Is it? But it's almost like you have to let these show ponies, right? These special, special individuals, these, and I'm not trying to sound like scientific and deep here, but guys that are so advanced in basketball, you almost have to let them explore at times. And that's kind of what the evolution of this game has been. Not just the position part, not just, hey, let's throw out five guys. Let's not worry about size, take more threes and all that stuff. All those things are happening accurate. Okay. So this isn't the only thing, but there's a, there's another element to basketball. The more I'm watching it going, I think we just have to get used to shots that, or maybe that becomes the debate. Is it like, well, we look back and be like, maybe some of these shots actually still weren't the best shots to take, but guys are just going to go ahead and take them. And like I said, the dilemma may be that you have to let the best guys 
go ahead and do this. I want to just go through usage percentage real quick there because Harden is clearly number one at 40% usage. That is that is kind of up there around all-time stuff. He had a great sit-down with Stephen A. Smith, and Stephen A. asked him about his game and said, what about the critiques? And people say you're just looking for fouls or searching for fouls. And Harden, with an extremely definitive, detailed answer in response to that, said, hey, I just play the game. So uh, I'm sold. Kawhi Leonard is second usage. Trey Young is third right now, and that's a 35%. Kyrie's at fourth. Giannis fifth. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, I'm going to go ahead and say that's a small sample. Yeah. Michael Kidd Gilchrist should not be sixth in usage rate in the NBA, but that's because he's only played in one game. Derek Rose, a sneaky sixth for him, for somebody who's actually played. So that's Tales from the Couch. And, uh, you know, we'll just we'll just keep it moving, right? I'm just going to play the game. Jared Dudley, right after this. I remember the first time somebody was like, hey, where'd you get that dress shirt, your dad? I was like, oh my God, that doesn't sound like a compliment. Because shirts started tightening up a little bit. Remember Michael Scott in the office when he went to New York City and that that purple deal? And mm. people were like, that was a little tight. And he was like, it's a European cut. Michael Scott was ahead of everybody else on that, okay? Because that's where we're at right now with dress shirts. But let's face it, the more complicated, the tighter these cuts are. I remember being a certain size in a jacket. I was wearing 46s. And it was like, no, you got to go to a 44 now. I'm like, do I? Do I have to go to a 44? The reason I'm telling you that is because proper cloth is here to solve all of those problems, okay? Because ordering a custom fit shirt used to be hard, but it's never been easier now thanks to proper cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions. You can even customize over 30 different style points to get the exact style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world, and each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. Proper Cloth shirts are completely custom-made for you and start at just $80. And thanks to their perfect fit guarantee, if it doesn't fit, you can get it remade completely free. I can't wait. These shirts are on the way. If anything is wrong, I'm like, you know what? My left elbow looks weird in this mirror. Proper Cloth is going to take care of it. They're going to do the same thing for you. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit and start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash Rosillo. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Why are they doing this? Stop wearing shirts that don't fit and start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash Ryan Rosillo today and enter the gift code Ryan Rosillo to save $20 off your first shirt. Again, that's R-Y-E-N, Ryan Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. See why Proper Cloth is the best custom shirt maker. Go to propercloth.com slash Ryan Rosillo. So does LeBron call you up to recruit you to the Lakers? Is that how this starts? No, I uh, <laughs> I do my own recruiting. Uh, I'm not I'm not Kawhi or those guys. But no, for me, just as a player, you know, you kind of have to, you know, self aware have self awareness of what you fit in the league. And obviously, going to year thirteen, I wanted to get to a contender. And I know Brooklyn had their, you know, KD and Kyrie there, but it wasn't really on the horn. So, I mean, once. Anthony Davis came. It was more me trying to get there and me trying to pursue them than them trying to pursue me, to be honest. So how's that work then? Because I, I find it really interesting and it honestly makes a lot of sense. You've been in the league a long time now. Man, it's phone calls. 
it's people you're in touch with. First, you got to go with your agent. Mark Ballstein's one of the best in the business. Getting in touch with Rob Palinka, seeing their thing. Obviously, they were going, they just made Anthony Davis and number one priorities, Kawhi Leonard. At that time, he's the biggest free agent. Everybody wanted him. All the top four or five teams thought they had a chance. And it's for seeing what their plan was and waiting on that. It was, I saw Kyle Kuzma out here in LA at a restaurant. You know, him and Devin Booker were friends. Talked to him on how I wanted to do. Tried to get in touch, you know, with Rich Paul. Tried to get in touch with Anthony Davis. Tried to get in touch with LeBron James. And then you try to see where they're at. And I knew that if you got Kawhi or you didn't get Kawhi, they were going to sign four or five minimum players. And at this end of my career, at going for the money I made, I knew I could, it was either going to be a minimum or around three, four million. And why not doing that? And so once I got the feedback, once Kawhi, even before he didn't sign, that I could get the minimum there, I, I jumped on it. So you could have taken more of somewhere else if you waited it out. Potentially, yeah, potentially like Detroit came at me, you could have, and then Brooklyn came at the very end back again and wanted me to go back there. But at that time, you know, I was all in. And once L.A. gave me the okay, it was more like, you know what, hey, I feel like I could be here, you know, here this year and next year in the same role that I'm in. I mean, what person is better role than for me from 11th to 15th man when you need, when Anthony Davis needs to rest, come and fill that role, help mentor uh, Kyle Kuzma, be a guy who, which people don't understand, man, to be uh, to be realistic and and blunt. When someone's shooting a bad shot, when practice is not right, when guys aren't in the weight room, you, you need to get extra shots. Rajon Rondo came back, but you don't see beforehand where I'm playing pickup four or five hours on game day with him to get him ready, to, to go at him, to push him, and not only myself, but guys from the G League, and that starts with him getting those reps, and that's what, that's what I'm here for. If everybody in the Lakers on this team right now were in a one-on-one tournament, who would who would the final four be? Final four, one-on-one, I'm going to put, obviously, Anthony and LeBron. We know those two. Who would uh, win between those two oh, guys? I'm going to go LeBron. I'm going to go LeBron just in the sense of, I mean, just three ball to build space out. And then when he goes one way, you got to see him, man. When defenses are playing against him, they're so loaded to the basketball. Anthony Davis is phenomenal. I, I just think, I feel like LeBron was will his way in. I feel like he's okay, not yeah, willing look, to lose. I feel, I'm not trying to get anybody mad at you in the locker room here. I just, I'm, you're around. Nah, I'm a guy. Man, listen here. Right, I, right. I'm not one of those. Those are my guys. Hey, right, listen right. here. Hey, I, I don't know if that's true. You asking me to pick one of them. I'm picking, I'm big, I'm, I'm, I pick LeBron. I'm not saying it wouldn't be close. I'm not saying Anthony Davis can't beat him. You're asking me to pick. I think Kyle Kuzma is one of our best one-on-one players. I put him in there, and I'm, I'm going to put Rondo. Here's the wild card, because Rondo cheats and everything. Bro. So he's going to find a way to foul. It wasn't a foul. He's going to find a way to get in the final four. Those, those are my final four. I'll back you on the Rondo thing. By the way, he looked great last night. Like is he? Man, what did he do this off biggest, season? That that the dude is, biggest is young. Surprise with Rondo is he's a way better shooter than he gets credit for because when he first came in the league and the old Celtics of being passed, he can shoot the mm, out the ball, and then. I think we all got them prepared. We, I think we do the coaches, staff, and the player development, playing four on four, G leaguers uh, that came down and got them five on five. I just think that his, he didn't do too much. He played in his role, his passing ability, and court vision is obviously second to none on the team. Uh, I thought he just had great pace and poise out there. And hey, we need him. We need we need that added dimension to add to our offense. 
I'm talking more of his movement because the the shooting thing, I'd be like, well, he doesn't get credit for it because he he generally just hasn't hit a ton of them um, over sure. his career. It's 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 definitely better, or it looks a little better than it did in the beginning. I just thought his movement overall in that Suns game last night, I was like, this guy is like he's he just looks great. His agility, like there was there was nothing physically with him where I go, oh, he looks a step slower. I thought he actually looked a step faster, and I was actually blown away by it. When you're 33, 34 years old, when you get a couple weeks, he's been off, what, since China? He's been off a couple weeks. You, you feel good. It's the four games and six nights you feel yeah. a little bit slow. I think the excitement, but I just think that it, it was a buildup, and I think that it was just perfect timing. I just think that you know, your wise we've been going. Imagine playing four on four full court. You get tired. We've been doing that a couple times. We did four on four and five on five, so it's not like from a, a conditioning standpoint. I mean, you look at him, I mean, the Man, his body's a freak, bro, at 3 or 4% body fat. So it's not like he gains weight or anything, and he just loves the hoop. So I just think that the rest and then the buildup from his injury to get to the point made him just look springy. I'll back you up on the one-on-one thing with him, too, because I went to two of his draft workouts, and in one of them that was at Boston, they were running two-on-two, and Marcus Williams of UConn was in it, and then Cedric Simmons from NC State was at it, and they were playing two-on-two. yep. And Simmons was guarding Rondo, and Rondo was hitting baby hooks over him, over him. And he was like 6'10". And I was just like looking around going, this is insane, right? And then, of course, you knew. And I think they'd brought Rondo back up like a third time maybe right before the draft. You're like, maybe Ainge really likes Rondo. And there they go. They bought the Phoenix Suns pick, and the rest is history. Uh, Talk to me about Dwight a little bit because I was skeptical. I was, I think, justifiably skeptical. And I wonder, one, he's doing the right thing as a big guy. He's getting lighter, which is a way to prolong your career. Um, and I wonder, you know, I don't know how close you are with him. If you were close before, if it was embarrassment, if it was hitting his basketball rock bottom that, is, that has turned this thing around. But what do you think it is about him and his approach and, and being his teammate to see so early in the season, at least so far, that he's been this good? For one, both my lockers are by Dwight Howard. Practice facility and game arena. I would say this. I didn't know Dwight Howard pre-Lakers. Obviously, I played against him. You know his personality, outgoing, laughs. You thought, you know, report that you take the game serious. And this. I think, to be honest with you, and I think if you ask him, I think humble. I think he's, when you're late in your career, when you... You get cut, basically, no one picking you up. You, you're basically signing the minimum. So that basically, from an athlete standpoint, when you get into and you mentally-wise, you know, you're at the end of your career. I think him to be able to have a chance to come back for the Lakers to want him, for him to, to, to ask for a workout, and then I heard he just destroyed the workout. Have you seen his body's phenomenal? But I could just tell from him, quiet guy, a guy who knows himself, knows what he wants, knows who he is as a person. And I think that's harder to find out, especially with mental health at, at such a high level. And us, you know, you know, understanding. It. I just think for him, knowing him, knowing himself, and he's quiet, but yet you can see him his shell. That he, you know, he's just a fun guy. I want to be around. He loves to dance, hang out. So I just think that he's zoned in on the goal. He has the right mindset and approach, and he knows his role. So you've gone up against LeBron, and I think one of the things that teams looked at Jared with you is that this is a guy that has been around but he's he's not afraid but he's not one of these older guys that's like still worried about your place in the game it's just I'm going to figure this out I don't mean to call you old but you know like NBA veteran type of thing here because I'm still like 10 years older than you so I, don't, I feel uncomfortable even saying <laughs> uh, what what is it about a guy like LeBron that's different 
versus going up against him and then being part of this traveling circus. And I don't mean that necessarily as a knock, but when it is LeBron, there is a tension that is just a little bit different than, say, the rest of the franchises. So compare those two things for me now that you're in it every day. I think first thing first, LeBron as a leader, I, I didn't know he was this good. I've said this before on different interviews, stuff that I have. I think that when you deal with the circus, you think that you might think he's bigger than the team. He's definitely not. He's someone that I believe that um, he's just one of the guys. He's one of the guys when it comes to um, you know hanging out on the court, how he does his work. And then when it comes to the media, he handles it. He handles it. He handles the questions. I think when it comes to superstar, like what superstar in the NBA is better at doing interviews than him? He he takes the criticism. He he tells what he needs to do. He talks about the process. He uplifts his guys after the game. I think he just sent an Instagram thing out about Kyle Kuzma and how big he was. He's the perfect teammate. And I, you know, you hear everyone has flaws. Everyone has stuff that you need to work on. And man, came at eighteen. So just with him, I didn't know he was humbled as he is now. I think that. You know, all, all what he's been through, but as a teammate, man, he's been superb. And I'll say that after losses, after wins, how he is leadership-wise, never get down too low. We stick together. And, hey, I, and I play with good players. Nash, Shaq, Amari, from CP. There's been no leader like LeBron James. So compare him to Shaq then. Compare being on a team with Shaq, who's as big a star as the game has had, versus a guy like LeBron, mm-hmm. who's obviously had that title too. I would say this, when it comes to personality, them lighting up a locker room, very identical. Always center of attention, their personality, practice court being loud, vocal, talking trash, having a good time, very, very similar. I would say when it comes to the approach was obviously taking care of their body. There is no athlete I've seen take care of their body like LeBron. The stuff that he does, I mean, I, I, I know he's still jumping out the gym at 17 and people think he might slow down. From his stretching to in the weight room every day to what he puts in his body to the rest to the Norma Tech to everything that he does. That was different between him and Shaq. And you, you can tell by their bodies that. But I just think when I say the leadership wise, where it's a text message, it's a it's a whisper in your ear. If it's, hey, I see this, if it's a film clip, if it's that, like his attention to detail to a game. He's a point guard like Magic, a personality like Shaq. One of the guys like Jordan, he has he has so much you know contributions. That's why he's LeBron James, to be honest with you. But to have a good time, he's someone that sets the dinners up. Let's all hang out. Shaq was like that. I mean, he was Shaq and Bron are, are the guys, guys. They're the pros. They're the, the George. Remember, you think of the Kobe's where hey, don't hang out with his teammates. That's not LeBron. That's the stories you heard. I don't know if they were true, but LeBron's not that. LeBron believes in hey, if I can break bread with you, if I can eat with you, then I could get on you and need more of you as a teammate. And it makes perfect sense. I know you weren't there last year, but I don't think I'm off base on this. And it's, it's, I don't want to make it sound like it's a leading question, but I just know that LeBron doesn't exactly love young players. Um, I, I know when he was in Cleveland the whole time, it was like, I don't care about these lottery picks. I don't care about anything. Now, granted, the picks were in the lottery, and he was there, but they had you know a pick, and it was like, let's get rid of this one. You know, Let's bring guys in that are ready immediately. Do you sense there is relief, perhaps more joy, that he's with a roster, not only with an Anthony Davis, but you, Danny Green, Rondo, who he's, he's liked for a long time. You know, We can go down the list of some of the other guys that have been around. 
that it's just more enjoyable for him as opposed to this youth movement that he ended up joining, which I really don't think he ever expected to go to Los Angeles by himself two summers ago. But have you picked up on that at all or have heard him talk about it, the difference between last year's roster and this year's? Not It's not really just you know comparing the two. I could just tell the joy. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, take LeBron out, anyone. I mean, they weren't a championship contender last year. LeBron's used to playing for championships. The Lakers this year is a championship contender. When you add Anthony Davis, LeBron James, so just your joy when you know you have a sidekick that's on your level that can lead a team on a given night and you don't need to be at your high ability, that's enjoyment. That's a relief. And then you add all veterans around similar age. Rondo, obviously, was here. You added Dwight, Danny Green, his championship pedigree. Avery Bradley was probably the biggest, one of the biggest pickups in the summertime. You had even guys like myself in the locker room where, hey, you know what? I'm helping out the locker room. Hey, you, sometimes you don't got to say something to Kuzma. I'm already, I'm already saying to him when he comes off the bench, when he hits the, hey, Kuz, that's a bad shot. Hey, Kuz, great defense way to stay down. I'm on him. So certain, certain stuff you have to delegate, as you know, as a, as a parent or, or you're a coach, and you have to delegate certain things to your assistants. That's how LeBron, LeBron's like a coach. So, yes, the joy, you could see it on his face. I bet you at times it was frustrating, but I bet you he's all about the process. So last year he knew that was a process. He knew that, hey, you know what, possibly they weren't a championship team, but how can I grow these young guys? How can we get to the playoffs and give ourselves a chance? And so this year it's not about growing. Yes, it's about growing us to get to where we need to get to the, at the top, but it's where, hey, this is a process of a championship. This is a failure if you don't win it. And then you come back the next year. This that That's where our goals are at. And so I, you could definitely see the joy not only in his face, but how about Anthony Davis's face? The, what, what happened? He went through last year in New Orleans, and now where he's at, 8-2, and two, you know, one, one of the big pieces of this franchise going forward, man, I, I think for both of them it's joy. Coming up next with Jared Dudley, I'm going to ask him if there's any single NBA player that he hates, including Embiid. But getting into debt is easy. Getting out of debt, though, is hard. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt because they know you're more than just a credit score. Upstart is really simple, man. If you're jammed up right now and you're getting that anxiety and people are calling you and they keep calling and those bills are coming in and you don't even want to open them, I know it all. I've been through it all. You're going to feel so much better after you call Upstart and put together a freaking plan. This is not the script. This is experience. This is me telling you, I know what that feels like, and it sucks. And you know what feels great is when you just face it, deal with the issue, and call Upstart. All right? doesn't mean everything's free. It means now we have a plan, and now I'm saving against those ridiculous interest rates because they're going to add up. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score. When assessing your credit worthiness, they actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter interest rate. So think about that. Like, hey, my credit score isn't that good. Okay, but do you have a steady job? You got a paycheck coming in all the time? What's your deal, man? It's a what's your deal approach and not just a number. Upstart makes it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in just a few minutes. Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. The next day, over 300,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards and meet their financial goals for yourself. From the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. And hurry to upstart.com slash dual to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes and it won't affect your credit. That's upstart.com slash dual, D-U-A-L. 
Why does Davis keep flirting with the idea of like being a free agent after the team gave up so much for him? Like he's not going anywhere. I think that in the NBA, not only you, you look at, you know, things change so fast. And so, yes, I, I, you you be you know I, I hate to wear the word foolish. I mean the Lakers or I mean these Lakers fans are phenomenal. It's crazy. I was I was a Suns player and you he used to hate the Lakers, right? But these fans are so diehard, are so rise for you on the road. I'm in Phoenix. It's forty percent Laker fans. You go to Chicago. I mean it's it's hard to leave. I think what was the last person that left Dwight Howard? I mean when it comes to organization, you have LeBron. Yeah, if not, but you are a free agent, so you got to have all your boundaries. Man, listen here, we we're doing. We need to be here. I expect him to be here for a long time. It's seventy five degrees. I might walk out here in shorts here to, to, when I go to shoot around. Like no one wants to leave this. The, the 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 banners to be able to compete national televised games. That's why you come to the Lakers. That's why he came here. So I just think it's. I don't know. You go through your, you know, as a phrase, and you answer the questions of the media instead of just, you know, you know, playing your, you play your cards. If you, you know, if you're a card player, you're not just going to show your hand right away. But we all know. I love how you whispered at the beginning of that answer, like it was going to be just you and I hanging out. Uh, but I, I appreciate that because it, it really, it sold it, it. it sold it even more. Does he realize that he could be the best player in the NBA though? Because I mean, look, I've been as big an Anthony Davis fan as anybody. I don't necessarily like what happened last year. I clearly know why he's he's doing this, pretending to keep his options open thing. But just the player, uh, you know, he was close to taking that mantle a couple years ago, and then everything goes wrong last year. When you talk to him, like sometimes I get the impression, and other people that have played with him, been around him, it's like he's still a very young person, and it, it's not a negative, but he's the New Orleans thing went so poorly that sometimes I'm not sure if he's aware of like, you're really close. If this team's successful this year and the numbers you're putting up and just watching him up close must be ridiculous. Um, I mean, do, do you get that sense? Like, does he know how special he is? Yes, he definitely knows. He knows how much we rely on him and need him. And what, what separates him a la Kawhi Leonard of being a top five is who is better defensively than Anthony Davis. <laughs> he can switch on the ball screens. He can guard you from the three-point line. He blocks shots. He's probably the most special dynamic defensive player because of how he can get guarding the ball, guarding the post, weak side, pinning again, bringing the ball up off a block. I mean, that sets him. And then now offensively, now him expanding to the three-point shot, he could play the five. He could play the four. He can roll. He, we, we, we post him more than any most most bigs now here in the league. His seventeen foot shots automatic, and you you have you know he's averaging what twenty six twenty seven right now. And is he fully comfortable? How, how can a player be fully comfortable in ten games? Wait 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 to game forty fifty, and we, we we put in our full offense. As a coaching staff, you you, you put in thirty percent, forty percent of your playbook in the beginning of the year. You expand. You see, and so yeah, he knows. He dominates. Uh, and, and you know, and for me, just to see it on a day to day basis, and I just, I, I, yes, I'm amazed, and that's why we're so good defensively. It starts with Anthony Davis, it starts with Avery Bradley on the ball. Those two guys are special defenders, and so when you see everyone else fall in line, like Dwight Howard and that way, but LeBron's flying on the floor, it's easy to see why we're a top five defense. I think we were number one like two games ago. Yeah, the metrics have been incredible, and Dwight's been great too. I mean, Dwight's closing games defensively and hell he even got a couple touches in the post and they both worked last night and I was like what is going on here so um give me I have a rapid fire question thing that we'll finish here and you know I just 
I love storytelling. You're a great storyteller. It is very early in this season, but going back to training camp, once you became a part of this and being around it with the staff, what's the story you tell your buddies when they're like, all right, give us a LeBron, maybe Anthony Davis story or something that happened. Give me something, you know, look, I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble here, but right, give me right, the story right. that you, you share with everybody that's just going to be something you're going to remember at least from the beginning of the year. So far in the beginning of the year, I would say when we were in China and you know, we got together for a team dinner and we're out there hanging out and guys are just chilling and stuff like that. And literally you go down uh, the elevator, the, the mall is, is, is connected to the hotel. And so obviously you're going through the whole China, uh, China fiasco over there. And so we really couldn't leave. And so literally we're going to eat at a dinner just to stay and hang out. And we go downstairs, right? We take the elevator down and there's like four or 5,000 people outside the elevator trying to rush LeBron James. And to the point where guys are trying to hold off the fans and one of one you of guys uh, one of the uh huh? The players guys are trying like to hold off the fans. Security players. Yeah, I mean security players. I mean they're all trying to rush it. I mean listen, if you open the ele- you go down the elevator and you see all, nothing but people trying to rush and take pictures and that like for one you're gonna be a little startled for two you're gonna be like dang like there ain't enough people to hold these people back. Let's be honest. And so they, they were, they were, they obviously they were fine. They were behaved fine. They just wanted pictures. They, want, they just wanted to touch them. And one of the, one of the Kyle Kuzma's buddies dislocated his shoulder because he was trying to hold off the fan. <laughs> That's a true story. It's crazy, right? And so you hear the fans start chanting LBJ, LBJ, and it's crazy. And to the point where the security just rushed him off. I, I, I just took my time to walk. They don't want nothing to do with me. And so I'm just watching the show. I'm like, this is just so real. It's so real. The story where it's like, you know, this game is obviously global. China's crazy. It is four or 5,000 people in the mall outside of a steakhouse waiting for this elevator to rush, and we had no clue. And it's just like, wow. It's just like, you know, you see the star powers. I had it with Nash and Shaq, but, like, LeBron's on a whole different level where, man, like, I, I tell my boys, like, but you, you, you'll never even guess what happened. I actually have even a video. It's, like, it's a, I, I had to get a little video of it afterwards just to see how many fans were just trying to rush and run. Towards the end of it, man, it was just, it was just it's just crazy how basketball it is. And as a little kid, wanted to play this game, and now I'm playing one of the greatest players ever to play the game. Um, it, it was just a surreal moment early in the season before we even played the game. How much did that China thing suck for you guys as players, not really knowing what the hell was going on? I mean, it sucked for one, just because that's a trip that where you bond together and you get better. Like we didn't, we couldn't practice. We're out there five, six days. It hurt us. It hurt us from a conditioning standpoint, from a timing to get stuff in. You get, I mean, from from a coaches, you, they missed three, four practices. So the only time you went to the arena was for the game. And in the game, you went there. You was no shoot around. You couldn't get there. There was only one bus. So we all get there three hours. So it messes your shooting times. And so when it comes to just for that, and so it sucked for culture wise. I wanted to see. I wanted to see Shanghai. I wanted to sightsee. Couldn't leave the hotel. All that stuff. So that's where it really, really sucked. And then it was supposed to be the most watched televised game out in China ever in the history. And so for us, for fans to be able to see you when it came to like your deals, if you want, people had appearances. All that got canceled. So that's why it really, really sucked. To be honest with you, was all those different factors. To be honest. I mean, it, it was just. Uh, I was looking forward to that trip, and it ended up being not the trip that we all expected. No, I don't think I don't think anyone expected that. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I have some rapid fire for you here. Five Go questions. Ahead. How annoying were you and Sean Marshall as players at Boston College to the opponent? 
very annoying. Annoying and immature. We led the nation in technicals. We were uh, in your face. It, it was our identity to be tough. I, I'll give Al Skinner a little bit of credit to help our with our annoyances. He just said we couldn't get a technical if if we weren't eight points or up. Uh, and he let us basically just do what we wanted to do. And so, yes, it helped us. Um, by my senior year, after hearing from scouts, they said no more technicals. I, I, I didn't get one technical my senior year, but definitely, man. We were Ignatius, screaming, hanging on rims, talking trash. But uh, It was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, now, I, I, you and I have talked about yeah. this. I don't know if you remember, but we were neighbors. <laughs> I, I lived up there around that time. I was on yeah. 1949.com, so I would see you. I'm not like you were going to want to like, hey. Hi, Sean. Hey, hi, Jared. I'm Ryan. You know, like that wasn't going to happen. Right, 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 right. Um, but I would, go, I would go to a bunch of those games. I was a big St. John's fan, so it wasn't like I was even rooting for you, even though you guys had transitioned at that point. Um, do you? Did you guys ever make fun of Sean Marshall's King of the Court tattoo? For sure. Like a lot of his tattoos we made fun of and stuff like that, for sure. I mean, it was all jokes. I mean, Sean Marshall was a good player, man. I mean, obviously, he had a chip to the shoulder. But I'll tell you, it's kind of like Pat Beverly, these guys. Certain players have to have that to be successful. He was one of those. He had to have a chip. But he was calm, and that he, he didn't play well. And so it, that that was, for, for me, it was more like a, a persona. It was like, you know what, Jared? This is not what they're looking for. This is what you need to do. So I ended up being able to change. I don't know if he actually ever changed, but it fit him. And even to this day, I think he's still playing overseas, man. It's a long he's year, 13, Japan. 14 years. Japan now, see? He's still yeah, right. So, so I, uh, I actually mean this as a compliment because I, I I thought there was zero chance you were playing in the pros. Okay, I was like, no way, zero. Yeah, well, you were big. I just oh, didn't think. I thought you'd be a late first round pick. That you know, in a couple of years, you would be overseas too. Gotcha. And then you started. That's fair. Then That's, you started, fair. That's fair. Because I actually, all right, I'll ask you that because that was another rapid fire one here. You got traded. Pretty quickly from Charlotte, that was more about the Jason Richardson deal that you get thrown into. And yeah, you got picked, what, in 22, something like that? Was that right? 22, 22. 23? 22, okay. But you're right. But but the story behind that is Steve Kerr made the trade. Me and Steve Kerr are both represented by Mark Bottlestein. So people just think it was a Jason Richardson trade. Steve Kerr told Charlotte they wouldn't do that trade if I wasn't in it. So people just thought it was the J kid. I mean, Jason Richardson one, but Kerr knew me. I need. I I, I signed with Mark Ballstein because of Steve Kerr. I talked to Kerr. Me and my mom talked to Kerr before, and so there's a lot of stuff behind that. You're right, and that trade made my made me be here 13 years playing with Stephen Grant, expanding my three. The th- I started the three point shot before it got really really big. You know, you know how Finks was doing, and so that turned me into a guy who was a 20% three-point shooter to 47, second in the NBA my fourth year. Now yeah. I'm here to be here. T- you do that, you're here 10-plus 10, 10 years. And that's, I think, you know, you. I didn't want you to think that I was, I was knocking you, but yeah, where it was going, I'm like, I don't know. And back then, it still was very position-heavy basketball. It's not the positionless basketball we have now. So you were, in a way, right. ahead of your time where you could defend bigger guys because you have, like, a really good base. You're a solid guy. So you could probably play against bigger players, and it's why you second. But then you start hitting those threes in Phoenix, and the great thing about Phoenix is anybody I've ever talked to that played there, like it was just, it sounds like a really simple uh, philosophy approach to basketball. But hey, we want you taking that shot, and if you don't take that shot, we're going to take you out. If you take it and miss it, you get to stay, and if you don't take it, you you get pulled out of the game. And as a player, you must be thinking, well, this is amazing. And I think there's a weird mental thing there where it just helps your own confidence as a shooter that leads to better results. And you were certainly one of those guys. I, I you know, it's, man, like you said, it's why you're it's, doing it's this now, 10 plus years. Man, it's now the new thing. 
They uplift you. Yes, they had the best passing point guard probably ever in the history of passing the ball, so it made it easier. But it's like if you ask Brooke Lopez, the reason why he's such a good three-point shooter, Kenny Atkinson, shoot the ball. Channing Fry before Brooke Lopez, when he came, he never had – I think he had one three-pointers made. Alvin, shoot the ball. We want you. It's confidence. We as a society and as people, hey, when you uplift someone, positivity is always better than negativity. So in a sense, Steve Nash said, hey, you'll make the next one. High five. You look at Nash. He had so many high five highlights because it's always like, Jared, you're good. Keep shooting. Boom. And so after that, like, man, when you, when you have that energy and you, and you practice your craft, man, it's only a matter of time. Last one. Is there a player that, you know, no matter what, when this whole career is over, that if you saw them, you still would hate him and you go, I don't want to talk to that guy. Wow. That's a great question. Is there a player? Is Embiid the answer? Embiid is not the answer. I don't hate Embiid. I had to do that to Embiid. You messed my teammate. Listen, here. I said, no, I don't hate Embiid and stuff like that. I don't think there is. Uh, I don't like Kander that much, but I don't think I would like, I don't hate him. Like if I see Kander, he said, well, what's, what's up? Like it's more on the court, more how people act, but no, Embiid, nah, I got no problem with Embiid, but I mean, it was a playoffs. He probably doesn't, you know, care for me too much, but no, I got I got no problem with him, Ben Simmons, and all those guys. I'm not really a hateful guy, to be honest with you. That's why I'm someone I could argue with you, argue with my wife. Five minutes later, it's like we didn't even argue. Like, I'm on to the next one, to be honest. That's just really how I am, so no. And plus, I'm going to be in this business, GM, head coach, when it's all said and done. I can't be hating. I might, I might be coaching some of these kids. These kids. <laughs> Great answer. You can follow him at Jared Dudley, 619 and I'm, I've always had a lot of fun talking with you, man. So I'm going to let you go, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll connect here soon, all right? Got you, man. Thanks. You appreciate it. Big thanks to Jared Dudley again and Nephew Kyle. How are you feeling, Nephew Kyle? We never really checked in officially. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. What was that, Monday night? I'm still reeling from that game. Just fucking incredible. Loved it. What, the Seahawks game? Yeah, my guys. Ten. Ten out there just putting in work on both sides of the ball. Oh, that's your Josh Gordon love. Why do you love that's Josh Gordon love. so much? That's my Josh. Dude, he's just, I had a feel. You ever had just a feeling you're like, I'm going to be on the ground floor with this guy? I was in the basement because everybody hated him. And he went to the Patriots. All that shit happened. Seahawks, couple big third down catches. Goddamn incredible. Well, good for you guys. Thanks. I'm going to get you some shirts. We're going to do it from our guys at Proper Cloth. Ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. You heard me talking about them before. Proper Cloth shirts are completely custom made for you and start at just 80 bucks. Girls notice fit, guys. They notice it. All right? The stuff you don't notice, they notice it all. Like, man, that guy, he's like a four, but his shirt's like an 11. I'm going to go talk to him. Don't. Oh, no, I, I have to. Anyway. You're guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. Go to propercloth.com slash Ryan Rosillo, R-Y-E-N, Rosillo today, and enter the gift code Ryan Rosillo to save $20 off your first shirt. That's propercloth.com slash Ryan Rosillo. You've listened, or you have been, or maybe you plan on doing it more, the Rosillo podcast here at the Ringer Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll be back on Friday. Maybe special guests. We have some special guests lined up. They're in the pipeline. So who knows what's going to happen? Man, I'm, I'm excited just thinking about it. <laughs>